certainly have fears that there is a serial killer at loose in Perth. Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer, Kira Glennon. And every time you saw a young girl walking by, you think, oh God, is she going to be the next victim? Now, one man stands accused. If police are right and Edwards is the Claremont serial killer, he's been hiding in plain sight for 20 years. 24 years ago, on the 8th of June, 1996, 23-year-old Jane Rimmer went out for a night in Claremont. She was the second young woman within a space of months who never made it home. Welcome to Claremont in Conversation and this special episode in which we remember the happy and vibrant young childcare worker who simply vanished in the night. You're with Natalie Bongiolo, Tim Clark and Alison Pham. Welcome back. It's been four weeks since court adjourned and coincidentally, Monday is actually the anniversary of Jane's disappearance. Yeah, that's right. It's um, it's again a bit of simpatico, a very strange coincidence because Monday will also be the day that we go back to court and we start to hear the closing arguments um, in the trial of the man that prosecutors say murdered Jane, along with Kira and Sarah. Um, we've we've had a few of these convergence of dates, a lot, mm. largely because the trial has gone so long and the process has gone so long, um, year after year after year. Of course, obviously the anniversaries rolled round, but uh, yeah, I think Jane will be um, high in the thoughts of of everyone that that goes back to court on Monday to to hear the um, the arguments as to why Justice Hall should convict Mr. Bradley Edwards of her murder. Yeah. And Alison, if you can just cast your mind back to 24 years ago and uh, the news when another young woman had disappeared, this was the second young woman to disappear in a matter of months. Um, Can you remember what it was like then and what people were thinking? Well, absolutely, because I think when Jane disappeared in June 1996, that was the turning point. That was the news that really sent shockwaves through not only the Claremont area, but through every parent with a teenage daughter because that was the first time the word serial killer crept into everyone's mind because when Sarah disappeared five months earlier, it was very traumatic and devastating for her family and friends, but for most of the community, it was a case of a missing teenager that was not all that uncommon. But here we have another girl, Jane, who looked very similar to Sarah, vanishing from the same area, the same circumstances around the same time of night and such striking similarities that could not be seen as a coincidence. That's right. And and I guess at the time there was really no explanation for what was going on and we just have a little bit of audio here from Jane's parents at the time. Of course, anyone with any information, if they can contact the police or if by chance Jane is listening please give us a call yes we love you baby tim it's quite heartbreaking because obviously at this point in time uh they're completely in the dark and desperate for information yeah as the the as ali said as the whole of perth was although there was a, a real foreboding sense of something absolutely horrifying was unfolding in the city before everyone's eyes um, and as you can hear in in the voices of both Jenny Jane's mum and Trevor her dad there they were obviously hoping for the best but fearing for the worst as as uh, um, as everyone was um, and unfortunately 55 days later um, those worst fears were realized when Jane's body was discovered um, up at Wellard naked and brutalized and that really was a, a, another 
turning point in in the in in the Claremont um, crime investigation. That was the moment that the task force task force macro was officially announced and launched, and a huge amount huge amount of resources, man hours, time, emotion, um, and everything was put into um, finding the man that that killed her. Yeah, and it was so very shocking, and also Jane is such a vibrant young woman and so happy and smiley and we've seen this footage of her where you know she um, is looks very carefree and a bit of a beach babe um, just talk to us a little bit about her circumstances prior to going missing yeah well that I, and that's what I think Ali made it so shocking uh, was in part what the girls look like and I know that sounds I mean every murder of of anyone is is, is obviously traumatic and shocking but because they were so young they all they all had their lives ahead of them um uh, Sarah was barely out of her, her, her childhood and Jane was just starting out in life she had she she'd got her own apartment she'd got her own job um she and she was enjoying life as hundreds of thousands of young people and young women in Perth were at, at, at that at that time in the mid 90s and and that's exactly what she was doing when she was so um cruelly um snatched off the street basically was she'd enjoyed a night out with her friends um having enjoyed the day with her parents and gone to the hairdresser and it it was so normal the, the the all the time leading up to the moment that she disappeared, which was then so abnormal, and and that's why it, it stuck out so much amid all you know uh, the other crimes that had were and had been committed in Perth over those many many years. It still sticks out because I think unlike some situations where um, people think, oh, well, they've taken risks, uh, mm. Claremont was a very yeah. trusting. And it took away the innocence of, of Claremont and everybody going there. Um, so much so that for the first time, I know police are very reluctant to use the term serial killer in an investigation, but this was the the time when they totally beefed up Claremont, changed completely. They had a, a mobile police van at the end. They beefed up security. The club owners themselves um, made sure there was extra lighting and they actually took it so seriously they... They brought in buses to take the kids home um, at night because we're talking at very uh, the early hours of the morning and the taxis weren't like they are today. There were no ride shares, there were no Uber and it was almost impossible to get a taxi um, at that time of the night. So it really freaked everybody out mm-hmm. when Jane went missing because this was confirmed in everybody's mind that this was a, a dangerous area. Yeah, I mean, and up until then, we had all felt so very safe in Claremont. Um, this is where we all went to. It, it was buzzing with people. So there was always so many people around. And both of these young women who had gone missing at this point were from this area. Mm. You know, uh, Jane worked at a childcare centre just one, you know, uh, suburb away. She spent a lot of time at Cottesloe at the beach. So they're very familiar with this area. It's not like they're out of their usual surroundings. Yeah, and, and during the trial, um, we got a, an even um, broader sense of the type of young woman Jane was. We saw pictures from inside her apartment 
yeah, I mean, they were heartbreaking, to be honest. The James Dean and and Marilyn Monroe posters on the wall and a teddy bear on the mm. bed and receipts still there and fast food wrappers still in the car as everyone as a 23-year-old just left home and just in spreading their wings would treat their car as a as a extension of their dustbin and 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 the jacket still slung over the the passenger seat on the front of her car and it was literally um, like time had stopped still in that apartment and obviously for Jane it had and that, that was so hard you know at times really hard to try and process and um and and you know put through the filter to 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 report as a um you know to to our audience in the paper and on the podcast because it was just as i said so normal um and so cruel really that someone just starting out in life just finding their feet just spreading their wings obviously close to their family obviously cl- close to their friends because then we actually saw via the cctv in the in the in in the continental hotel as it was then on that night um the uh, jane's final moments which which again was just took took it beyond a, a, another missing person as it became for nearly um, three months then it became a murder um and it really seeped into everyone's consciousness and i think the footage that we saw for the very first time too that was uh portrayed and shown in the courts um which was from the security cameras um in that area was quite compelling too Mm. just watching there having a good time chatting away and then just vanishing and did you get a, a real sense of who this young woman was as you're sitting through court over these months and hearing these really intimate details at time about her life and and her apartment and everything that you've said? Did you get a sense of, um, you know, her as a person? Absolutely. I think just as, as a trusting teenager, um, completely innocent in, in as not taking us and you go into Claremont, you're not taking any great risks in an area where I guess where the other areas in inner city areas where there's more things happening. Claremont was a, almost like a, a school type atmosphere. It um, They knew people. Uh, she was a bubbly girl with everything to look forward to and then just maybe that innocence, maybe that trust um could have maybe been a detriment to them in the end. Yeah, and, the, and there's the so the, the the hours leading up to Jane's disappearance were canvassed um, and uh, talked about, and witnesses talked about in in quite some detail during the trial. So Jane had um, <clears throat> arranged um, firstly to get her hair done on that day, um, which which she did, um, and then she took a, a taxi to go and see her mum, who worked at the Shenton Park Hotel, um, another hotel quite close by. Um, she spent a little bit of time there, had a drink with her mum, um, and then set off for her evening out, um, which was, as it turned out, um, eerily similar to both Sarah and um, Kira's, in that it, um, it took in various night spots in the western suburbs of Perth, but ultimately ended up at the Continental Hotel with her friends. By this time, I think it's fair to say that Jane had had a f- quite a few drinks, um, but she wasn't falling down drunk. She wasn't, um, uh, uh, apparently wasn't at risk or wasn't a, d- a danger to herself and others. She just had a great night out. 
which had taken a, you know a little bit of a, a sad turn in the middle. Um, we heard from one witness who said that um, Jane had gone outside at the of the Continental Hotel at, at one point and was 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 quite teary. She asked her what it was wrong, and Jane said, "Well, I, I I feel fat. I don't feel attractive." And her friend, doing what all good friends do, particularly female friends, she put her arm around her, told her. You're not fat. You're beautiful. You're our friend. We want to spend the rest of the night with you, and that's what they did. She went back inside, and that CCTV footage from then until the moment, as Ali said, that she literally just disappears before our eyes. She can be seen going up and down the stairs, laughing, smiling. Her, her blonde curly hair is, is very distinctive, as was her smile, even in the very rudimentary CCTV back in the mid '90s. That's the two things that I picked from that video is her smile and her hair um, and I think it's fair to say that, that when you think of people certainly in Western Australia think of Jane Rimmer that's what they think of is her, is her smile and her hair Yeah and I think for many people um, just that story of that night and you know the moment where she was a bit upset outside with her friend so many people have been in that situation in the course of their lives mm. where they've had a couple of drinks and and got a bit teary and i think for a lot of us it really made us think that this could have been absolutely anybody mm. this was a regular girl on a regular night out doing the things that people do when they go out and are young yeah and i think particularly with this case and story that because it's been so long um, to come to this point, um, over 20 years, the, some myths, um, you know, generate around it and, you know, there might be some mistruths or some misconceptions about the people at the very centre of it. But for those few days when we when we heard from the people closest to Jane, including her brother, uh, all the friends that were with her that night um, and then unfortunately the police that then grew close to the family because they were trying to find out uh, find the man who'd killed her we really got the best sense I think of what um, and who Jane, Jane Rimmer was at that time in her life um, and you could only warm to her um, yeah. you, there, there was nothing else you could do but warm to her um, seeing where she lived hearing the people she lived with and loved, um, and then hearing from the people that spent their her last night with her, um, almost all of them had, had nothing bad to say and, and, and obviously all missed her terribly. You could tell that from just, just the way they spoke about her, let alone um, uh, with, with her and to her. Absolutely. This is uh, Jane's brother, Adam, describing his sister. She loved kids. Um, which was why she was into childcare. Um, she was very family orientated. Loved spending time with all of us. And that's the thing, you know, we know with all three of these victims that every single one of them had such incredibly close bonds with their parents and their families. Well, that came out, I think, right through the trial that these are just three very normal, trusting girls in a very supposedly safe, trusting area. And, um, yeah, they were just having a great time, as most of the kids going down to Claremont did. They just all enjoyed themselves. They looked happy. Um, 
they look relaxed. And then, of course, out of nowhere comes this perpetrator who causes such shock and trauma to Mm. everyone. Yeah. Mm. Well, let's talk about the moment that Jane disappeared. Mm. So she's at the pub and her friends are leaving and and some of them ask her, um, you know, if she would like to go with them and she sort of waves them off and and they drive past. She sort of waves them off again. And this is the CTTV vision that you're talking about and the last time that we saw her. And it's quite interesting because she's there one minute, she's gone the next. Just talk us about through that rolling coverage of the CCTV. Well, the cameras back then, um, as the as the club owners say, were very, very basic. They weren't there for the safety of the public, as happened later on. Um, they were there mainly to just check on crowd numbers, on what the doormen were doing, um, what the staff were doing and so they were on a, a time lapse it wasn't a constant one shot of the of the actual spot where Jane was last seen and there were seconds between them so one minute we see her standing there but by the time that had gone around on a loop she'd gone from that spot um, with CCTV today you would have seen every move but we're talking 24 years ago and everything was very very basic and as the club owners said, that those security cameras were there for just not for the, for the public, but for their own staff. And so that's the the horrible part about it is just like she just vanished into thin air. And of yeah. course, her friends, as we've heard through the years, are traumatised by all of this because it's it's a matter of oh, if only if we'd persuaded her. Uh, the same with Kira. Why did we talk her into coming down? They're living with that dra- trauma forever. Yeah, and the. Did that lead up so that they all leave the club to or the bar together? Um, but as you say, just past midnight, uh, drinks on board. You know, maybe you're not thinking too clearly or as clearly as you certainly would be at, at, at midday the next day. And we see Jane leaning on the pillar um, and seemingly waiting for a lift. A lift has actually been offered to her by yeah. her friends from the other side of the road. She's declined that. Again, young, trusting, emboldened, young woman out on the town. What, what's to fear there? Nothing. Or there should be nothing to fear in that situation. And as Ali says, the CCTV flicks between uh, various cameras positioned around the Continental Hotel. Those cameras that... Um, that are still there, that there are a lot better quality cameras now, but the actual camera position is still there to this very day. And it flicks around and flicks around, and we see Jane leaning on the pillar. And then by the time it's cycled through the next cycle, when it comes to that camera, she's gone. And that is the the moment um, that um, that Perth changed, that Claremont changed, unlike Western Australia changed, because that is the moment that the police now say, um, a serial killer was um, was striking. Yeah, and incredibly, this footage wasn't released until 2008 and there's been a lot of questions raised about that and whether the footage should have been released earlier to give people a, a greater sense of, of maybe knowing something mm. and being able to come forward. Yeah, so yeah, you're right now. There's a lot of controversy has revolved around this, um, this footage, um, whether it existed at all. Firstly, 
then when it was actually confirmed whether it existed, what was on it. And then eventually when it was released by the police, as you say, Nat, more than a decade after Jane's disappearance, um, um, not all of it was released. We know that now. And the portions that were released concentrated on a man outside the bar, outside the Conti, that Jane was talking to. You never see his face. So we you see the front and side of Jane's um, interaction with him, and she is apparently quite um, happy to be uh, relating to him. Um, but we, th- you never see the face of this this man, um, and we we still don't know to this day who he was, because that wasn't really concentrated on in the um, in the in the trial, um, because that man is n- not said to be Mister Edwards, because Mister Edwards yes. is said to have been in a car and picked up Jane while he's driving this white car, um, as we've talked about many, many times over the many, many podcasts. The other controversy was that this footage was only released to to one outlet at the time it was released because um, a a pay TV outlet in Australia was doing a special on the Claremont series uh, um, killings and the police in their wisdom decided that was would be the good time to release it just to them and I certainly remember that because I was in the country and working as a journalist at the time and there was a furor amongst other news outlets free-to-air news outlets I should say in Perth Western Australia and across Australia because the police had obviously promised this pay TV outlet exclusive access to this footage um, for their airing of the show. And so we uh, had to make significant noise as other media outlets to get the same footage because, A, we, we the, I think the argument was, well, why haven't we had it before? And B, well, if you actually want it to do its job and try and find out some information about who this man might possibly be, then surely it would be in your advantage to um, release it to as wide an audience as you possibly can. And so, yeah, it's a bit of checkered history about that CCTV. And um, and it, as, as I said, Ali, it turned out that we hadn't seen it all no. because the, the bits that we hadn't seen were aired in court. And we couldn't understand that one static shot either. There are a lot of things that um, we, we can't, couldn't understand why the police didn't um, release more information, including... The suspicions of a white Telstra mm, yeah. telecom yeah. van. Well, that's another story. Yeah. For yes. the, yeah. oh, I mean, they're very quick now to for anything. Uh, warning, especially to kids, there's a white van patrolling the school, but there's no mention of the um, Telstra telecom logo. Well, uh, this is what Adam, uh, Jane's brother, says about that footage. Why has it taken 12 years? Um There's a recognition there. She she knows this person. I mean, just imagine if that footage had been spread far and wide, literally in the days following Jane's disappearance. Well, actually, she does. She she actually shows on her face, "Hi, you know, g'day," like you would to a friend. Mm. But I guess because they felt she was picked up in a car, whether that person was relevant. Mm. I mean, that's the only thing we can think of because. That was outside the actual mm. Continental Claremont Hotel. And um, the theory is that when she was abducted, it was because she got into a car maybe around the corner or further away. That's never been explained. There is a, a lot of things, of course, in this trial that have never been explained. Uh, the police don't do that. But um, we really don't know whether that guy might have been eliminated. 
exactly in their investigations. Um, and those those questions, as 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 far as they're relevant now, still haven't been answered. Mm. Um, whether they'll be asked of the police uh, after the trial, I, I suppose that might depend on the on the verdict of the trial, because. <laughs> hypothetically, if Mr Edwards is found guilty of Jane's murder, then the police could say, well, that 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 um, that footage wouldn't have helped because he's not actually shown on it and no, his car's and not shown on it. But they didn't know that at the time. No. And they can argue to the blue in the face about operational reasons. Personally, I think that footage should have been released as soon it was, as, as it was thought that it might be helpful to the investigation. Uh, as much as that they were probably overflowing with information um, as it was via Crime Stoppers and everything else that was going on. Um, the fact that that CCTV was deemed relevant, even though it didn't show Mr Evans in the trial, shows how important it was to yeah. the investigation and it should have been released earlier and wider than it was. That's right. If it's important 24 years later, it was important at the time. What we do know is that, um, you know, Jane's disappearance did send shockwaves, of course, through Perth. And this is when the Macro Task Force was created. In Claremont today, police walked the beat searching for clues. It looks more and more like Jane has been abducted. Yeah, um, and I'm sure when that... Um, that moniker, that name, that nickname was given to um, Macro um, in the days after Jane's body was discovered and, and or, or after the days after she disappeared, in fact. I'm sure the police there didn't have an idea that we'd still be talking about Macro nearly 25 years later and how many uh, stories will be to, would have been written about the, the task force and how many police officers would have been through the task force and how many reviews of the task force there would have been over the years. But it, it is all there. It has all happened. Um, and ultimately, uh, again, as I say, if the verdicts come down the way the prosecution and police hope, then we won't be talking about the longest and most expensive investigation. We, we might be talking about, you know, ultimately one of the most successful because if, if they've, if everything they've said in court um, is accepted or even a lot of what is said in court is accepted by Justice Hall, then, um, then they, might, they might well get their man. Yes, and of course, you know, they were at this stage linking the two disappearances of the women, despite the fact that they hadn't found um, a body. So let's just have a listen to some of the news reports from that time. The links with the disappearance of Sarah Spears in the same area are now so strong, police fear they're hunting for a serial killer. Because of the similarities, uh, we, have, um, uh, we are looking at uh, possibly two homicides committed by the same person. But not to be able to find the girls, we know that there must be some sort of organisation process and some plan, and we would expect premeditation. The night that Jane did disappear, um, there were some reports of screams and what have you, and this is what came out during the course of the trial. Tim, just talk us through what some of these witnesses heard that night. Yeah, so this this was interesting and um I would say probably some of the strongest circumstantial evidence that goes to um, Jane's murder. Um, and these were screams that were heard in Wellard um, in, the, in very close to, um, actually sort of triangulated around the, the spot where Jane's body was eventually found. 
Um, they were separate accounts from separate people in separate localities, very close to um, the, the, the the dump site. Wellard at that time was semi-rural, had a handful of properties, if that, um, in the area, as long as a riding school, which we heard quite a lot about during the trial. And the accounts from the um, the, the three different spots, from the three different um, couples or um, residents in that area, said that they heard very distinct screams and they, these weren't these weren't light screams or playful screams these these were as they were described horrifying blood curdling uh, so horrifying in fact that you know, uh, two separate witnesses said they'd never forget them and never would um, and, and which is why they were able to describe them with such clarity so so many years on and what the prosecution says was, this was Jane being murdered um, at or very close to the site where her body was found. Um, the, the 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 night is right, the timeline is right, the area is right, and it, well, it's not just one person that heard them, but it, uh, at least three um, in a in a spot where those um, screams wouldn't ordinarily be heard. Um, and um, you have to you have to say that that is quite strong circumstantial evidence because those witnesses were so strong in their recollections. Oh, the day that Jane's body was found um, certainly changed everything. I just remember jumping in my own car and driving out there and, and Wellard was just some place that nobody had ever heard of. It was a very rural area, miles away from anywhere, but this definitely changed everything. There is a huge news story because, again, it was two missing girls, but this was the first um, that we knew that it was a, a murder and a serial killer. And the circumstances of her being found as well were extraordinary, lucky, um, fortuitous, uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, we've recounted the story, but I'll just quickly go through it again. There was a family that were on a trip out to Wellard, rural area. Um, chicken runs out in front of the car. Um, children want to get out and chase the chicken. Lady in the car decides to go and pick death lilies on the side of the road just where they're parked and that's when she finds Jane's body. So Tim, this really was one of the um, very emotional parts of the trial. Yeah, because that lady in that car that went to pick those death lilies um, came into court and um, and told her story and again she said it's something that's lived with her f- from that moment to this um, and it was, it was, she was still emotional um, then as she was on that day um, and we heard that on that day she told the people that she was with and then told other um, people that came across the site um, that she wasn't going to leave because she didn't want to leave Jane on her own. Um, now, she didn't know for sure it was Jane at that time, but the story had been so huge in the, in the preceding uh, eight weeks or so that um, everyone feared the worst and, and, and that was later obviously confirmed when... Um, when the identification of the body was done. But for um, Tammy Evans to say that then and say it now um, says two things. It says how um, sympathetic and empathetic Miss Evans was in in a moment that must have been horrifyingly um, shocking to find that just on the side of a a rural road. Um, But it also went to the, again, the size of the story and the, the fact that everyone knew about Jane, everyone knew Jane was missing. Um, and as soon as they found this body, they'd assumed and feared that they, they, they'd found Jane. 
And this was really um, at the time where it went from being a suspicion that something really sinister was going on here to being confirmed and really everybody's worst fears uh, when they found Jane. Absolutely. It changed everything that day because that's when we knew it. Um, there was a serial killer. Uh, up until then, and because Sarah had never been found, it, it was two missing women. Uh, certainly police took it to another level once that... Um, Jane's body had been found. There was also a, a lot of other sort of almost supernatural things we heard of during the trial with the with the horse mm. rearing up too. Yeah. Um, and so much so that the rider um, got down and, and found Jane's watch, mm. uh, which is one of the few items of uh, belonging to Jane that's been found. Yeah, that's right, because Jane was naked when she was found. Her bag was missing. Um, there were other small pieces of jewellery, but um, that watch on that road, the, 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 the gentleman who found it actually didn't realise what he had until um, later, uh, much later. Um, but then he did hand it into police. And the position of that watch on the road is quite telling because it wasn't where Jane was, the rest of Jane's remains were. So it was indicative of something very untoward having happened, um, some dragging, some struggle possibly, mm-hmm. and that um, those fears were borne out um, when we heard exactly um, what had happened to Jane through the, um, through the post-mortem process and the examination investigation that, that inevitably followed. Ali, do you remember what it was like um, at the time in the newsroom with the discovery of Jane's body? Um, what were you thinking back then and, and you know, how busy was everyone and people would have been just working around the tr- clock trying to find out what was going on here. Absolutely frantic. A huge um, event f- for the news. Uh, every time some bones had been discovered, everybody merely thought Sarah Spears, Jane Rimmer. But on this day in June, this confirmed the very worst. And everybody scrambled from everywhere to keep the coverage going, um, it was the just the confirmation of everyone's worst fears that a serial killer was out there, and this put a completely different aspect onto the onto the entire story. Had Jane Rimmer's parents had much to do with the media at this point? Not a, Jane Rimmer's parents um, were not as. Um, forthcoming as perhaps Don and Carol Spears were. Um, I don't know the circumstances. They were, um, they were not that um, on the... I, I mean, they had the appeals going from the family, but with Don and Spears, they were relentless in trying to find what had happened to their daughter and, and it kept going. And, and to this day, they still don't know. The ordeal's not over for them because Sarah Spears's body has never been found. So no matter what the outcome of this trial is, it doesn't end for the Spears family. All the rumours because, um, sadly, Trevor Rimmer, Jane's dad, died um, several years ago. Yes. And Jenny, his, her mum, who we heard from at the start of the podcast, um, is... is Obviously, getting on in years now, and is is in failing health. Um, and that was one of the most striking moments to me of the whole trial. Was the first day of the trial when Jenny did make the effort to come into court in a wheelchair, and was was positioned 
uh, at the corner uh, in the court where she would be able to see um, the the process unfold. And as I looked to my left and I saw Jenny um, in the wheelchair as the CCTV of Jane's um, last night was being shown during um, Prosecutor Carmel Barbagallo's opening statement in the first two hours of the trial after it got going. That was one of the most poignant moments of the whole 85 days for me, the juxtaposition of of Jenny now and Jane then, um, knowing that Jane had been to see her mum and, and that night had, 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 had diverted her night, if you if you like, um, from her friends to her to her family, and um, yeah, it was it was it was obviously hard for all of us, but um, the, the hardest for Jenny and and brother Adam and and sister Lee, um, who have, have borne witness to their sister for all these years, and as you say, Ali, Jenny and Trevor were different. Uh, they, they, I don't think they either really wanted to or necessarily enjoyed engaging with the the, the investigation um, in terms of the media pleas for help um, but over the years Jen, um, Lee and Adam have um, made sure that uh, Jane is is not forgotten um, and uh, and then w- did not forget her by turning up in court very very often and to hear the evidence against the man they say um, prosecutors say killed her and we've mentioned so many times during the podcast, there's been some really, really difficult moments in this trial and at times it must have been excruciating for the families. This is what Adam Rimmer told Channel 7. Uh, this is just before the trial was due to begin. I, I just, like I remembered as a, as a, good, as a good person. A good friend, do anything for anyone. You know, so, hmm. Miss you, Joe. That's all. The trial is critical because at the end of the day, these families are looking for justice. That's all they've been looking for, for nearly 25 years. Um, some closure. Uh, that you word is used a lot around the justice system, but a lot of people that, I talk to say it's an it's an em- sort of an empty word because you don't really ever mm, get closure. No. Um, but yeah, closure is coming in, in terms of clo- closing arguments um, coming up um, this week, um, and they will wrap up all the evidence. Um, and a lot of that evidence did revolve around what was found on Jane's body, um, the fibres, um, the wounds. Defensive and the, the wounds that that um, it is assumed were fatal, um, and couple that evidence together with the physical evidence on Kira and the circumstantial evidence surrounding Sarah. Um, the prosecution are going to go very hard, um, starting on Monday morning at ten o'clock, to um, to ram it home to Justice Hall that um, that. Uh, all that evidence taken together as a whole shows that Bradley Robert Edwards um, not only killed Jane but killed Sarah and Kira as well. It'll be very interesting to hear these closing submissions, Ali. Absolutely. Um, and we're expecting them to probably wrap up within oh, days rather than weeks. And then I believe, I think um, Justice Hall will be quite quick in coming back with a verdict or quick in the 
sense that sometimes judge alone can take months or even longer. But I think um, just by judging and listening to his comments throughout, uh, his questions, that he's analysing and summing it up each day as it goes by. Yeah, these um, closing arguments, they're necessary, but they're not totally crucial for Justice Hall um, because he's listened to all the evidence and in the last week or so he would have got written submissions from both sides as well, long, very detailed written submissions from both the defence and the prosecution outlining their main arguments as to, on the prosecution side, why there should be guilty verdicts, on the defence side, um, where the reasonable doubt they say is in the in the case, so Justice Hall have the, all those written ones, and then um, both sides get the, the chance to do their oral arguments, um, which is um, what will um, roll out over, as Ali says, probably three days. We th- we're probably looking at Monday, Tuesday for Miss Barbara Gallo, um, Wednesday for Mister Jovic, however long he he wants to take. Hopefully, a little bit longer than his case <laughs> took. Um, from our point of view, I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure Justice Hall, uh, as I said, he's got all the written submissions before him. So this is basically just a, um, um, a highlighting of the main arguments um, for the judge's sake and also for the public that have made um, uh, made such efforts to get to court, even in the middle of a, a global pandemic. Um, and then I, I wondered at times if we were actually going to get to this point, to be honest. You and me both, Nat. <laughs> you and me both. There's been some long, dark nights of the soul during this trial. But, um, yeah, um, th- these will be the, lo- the, the, end, the, the last nights in, in terms of evidence and, 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 and uh, arguments. <clears throat> and then, as Ali said, Justice Hall will go away, write up his reasons, which will be long, which will be detailed, which will be hugely scrutinised whenever they come down. Um, that's probably the most common question I've been asked in the last sort of five weeks since we wrapped up the daily um, podcasts. When's the verdict going to come down? If I knew that, um, I, 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 I would tell you. I honestly would tell everyone, but I don't. But we can guess some informed um, people behind the scenes told me maybe 10 weeks. Ooh. So I think we're probably looking maybe end of August. But yeah. look, don't hold me to that. Um, because Justice Hall, as we've said along, is a, is a workhorse, he's a machine, mm. um, he's a hugely intelligent man. He would have been writing his reasons as he'd been mm. going, so mm. not not maybe not the, the, the reasons for his decisions, even though, as um, Damien Cripps, our sort of legal mastermind earlier in the series said, he might well have made his decision already, but it's explaining that to us, um, to all the people that, are involved in the investigation and particularly to the to the interested parties. Um, and making sure there are absolutely no grounds for appeal. Well, that's the other thing. So, yeah, <laughs> he would want it as watertight as he could possibly mm, get it yeah. legally. But he, he also wants to explain it. Like, so there's that legal side of it, but then it's, it's explaining to everyone, to yeah. Western Australia, to Australia, to the families, to the lawyers, to us, the media, how he's come to that those decisions, whether they... Whichever side they fall, um, which is a you know as a legal geek, I'm very much looking forward to to reading his legal reasons for, as well as the verdicts and all the all the all that will flow from those. Um, so yeah, beginning of the end on Monday, um, and then it will, when the end will be finally, um, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll find out in the weeks to come.
Well, definitely many, many people are eagerly awaiting um, the conclusion of all of this. Thank you both very much for today and thank you for your emails over the past few weeks. We did manage to get back to some of you, not all of you, but we will still try to um, reach out. Ali and Tim will be back in court on Monday, 8th of June, for those closing submissions and we'll be back for day 86 of Claremont in Conversation. We'll talk to you then. This podcast is hosted by Natalie Bongiolo, produced by Kate Ryan and recorded in the studios of Seven West Media. Sign up for daily emails and all the latest on the Claremont trial at thewest.com.au. And if local news delivered differently appeals to you, tune into WA's newest morning show, The West Live with Jenna Clark. It's talkback radio, but without the interruptions. Listen live weekdays from 8.45am on thewest.com.au or catch up with the podcast.